Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. The Waco History Podcast is sponsored by Brotherwell Brewery on Historic Bridge Street in Waco. All right, welcome back to the Waco History Podcast. I've got a friend on with me uh, this time. And uh, in our, our recent series we had with uh, Ryan Holt, I think we mentioned the uh, research that uh, Sean Sutcliffe had done into uh, the Waco Fire Department uh, with others. But Sean is a longtime, almost 30-year librarian with Waco McLennan County Library. So he's done a lot of service to the people of Waco and McLennan County and a lot of service to the Institute for Oral History. He's an interviewer for the Institute for Oral History and so he's contributed several priceless oral history interviews into our collection. So I'm delighted to have him on here today to talk about his research. Sean, welcome to the Waco History Podcast. Thank you, good to be here. So the uh, thing we did with uh, former Chief Holt is really go back and do a little bit of a historical overview of, you know, Waco PD here in town. Of course, uh, looked very different at different uh, times in its era, and I'm sure that's the same uh, when we talk about uh, the fire department in town. So I'd love to go back and you just take us into some things you discovered in your research into the early days of uh, fire, uh, the fire department here in town. Probably wasn't called the fire department. Yeah. Yeah, you know, when we had the 150th celebration um, last year, last April, whenever it was, uh, I made a comment about, you know, they say necessity is the mother of invention. Mm -hmm. And so as such it was for Waco, you know, it's nothing like a good, uh, good in quotations, uh, fire that destroys a bunch of buildings to really serve as the impetus for creating a, a fire department. And that's indeed what happened in Waco in, in 1873. Uh, multiple buildings burned. And, you know, you can't have a thriving town or a thriving city eventually if if there's a risk of homes and buildings and businesses burning down. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's what led to the creation of, at the time, the Waco Volunteer Fire Department. Um you know, one of the stations, we can see the photos, it's just hard to picture, but it was, station one was originally on Franklin. Okay. But the photo, and I've never seen a photo of that one, but the one we're most familiar with is in the 300 block of Washington. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to picture that being there, but indeed that's where it was for, uh, the tornado uh, helped move it, I guess Mm -hmm. you could say, eventually. But yes, the the Waco Volunteer Fire Department organized in 1873, gone through various phases of expansion, and I mentioned in the uh, my comments at that uh, anniversary celebration shindig, it would be interesting. And again, anything I say is probably 
it's coming from a nerdy local history librarian. So that that's uh, <laughs> you're hitting our listener base right on the nose. <laughs> So <clears throat> one of the things that I think would be interesting is to have a map, and it could be done, mm -hmm. and plot where the various fire stations have been yeah. and really see how the city has grown. Um, yeah, because you could mark the development of the city or where, the, where perhaps even the predictive development of the city where they put fire stations. Exactly. Yeah. And such, so it is for Waco with with the one on Washington. And then there was one in East Waco mm -hmm. uh, for a long time. It was on Tyler. Then eventually it was at the kind of, I guess you could say the Y at Hillsborough and uh, um, Elm. And then uh, other stations from there, uh, West End on uh, 12th Street, which is now, uh, well, it's, it's kind of someone's uh, personal residence, but there behind the old funeral home mm -hmm. that has been turned into, I think it's a, a the market 1124 or something like that. Yeah. Um, then station four down at Baylor and number five, uh, at the time it, it was called Bell's Hill, uh, on the 1700 block of clay and mm -hmm. then expanding into North Waco. Um, and I think that's been one of the, when I think about it, that's one of the interesting aspects is how the, how the growth of the fire department reflects the growth of the city. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it was early 80, uh, 81, I believe it was, when Station 11 opened out in the industrial district. Mm -hmm. And we can see how, how much it's grown out there now. Yeah. And then China Spring. And uh, bef uh, now a uh, new station being built out there uh, on Panther Way. So, yeah. you know, I was, I was thinking, which is always a dangerous prospect, but I was thinking <laughs> that there are some careers that, truly provide an opportunity to see how a, a, a city or a society changes mm -hmm. in both good and bad ways. And the fire department is certainly one of those. Uh, uh, the calls they answer, the growth of the city, uh, the diversity of the department, things like that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so it started small um, and gradually grew. <clears throat> and in 1917 was when it became a, a fully paid department. And that was, that came out of concern about uh, insurance rates. Okay. So before we get to that, to, I don't know, I don't think on the podcast we've talked about the 1873 fire. Can you, can you talk a little bit about uh, that fire in particular or how much you know about that fire in particular? You know, yeah. I don't know yeah. a whole lot okay. about it. Other than uh, it was obviously downtown along Franklin. Yeah. Um, in multiple businesses, apparently, that burned. Okay. But I, I couldn't even begin to tell you which businesses. Well, and I, I would think in 1873, we've got a lot of wooden yes. structures, right? Yes. And I would think in 1873, by that time, we've got some densely developed kind of wooden structures. Yes, I would think so. Mul uh, and multi-story, most multi -story likely. Multi-story wooden structures, yeah. Um, you know, every... Um, Every county in Texas, it seems, has a story of when the courthouse, you know, in the 19th century, okay, that's when we lost the courthouse. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I think this is not an unusual uh, part of the narrative of a city's development is there is this sort of crisis yes, or some sort of big conflagration that takes out some important yeah, you have to presume it would happen eventually. Something, yeah. yeah, like you say, something 
would cause the city leaders to say, wait, we need some, we need some fire protection. And I'm wondering what was in place to respond to the 1873. I guess it was just people grabbing buckets and not an organized response to that fire. That would yeah. be my guess. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, as part of, I'm getting a little bit ahead, mm -hmm. but I, I know we can come back, but in, in researching, it's interesting to me, the changes in technology. And of course, back then, well, for, for many, many years of fire services, at least in Waco, uh, the crews didn't have the benefit of, uh, what are called as CBAs or air packs, uh, air bottles you see on their backs to help them breathe, to go into a building. Mm -hmm. So you hear the term smoke eaters, that's what they did. Yeah. So either they went in and took all that in, you know, stayed as low as they could, did the best they could, or it had to be fought from outside. And I, I can't help but think between the incendiary nature, perhaps, of the structures, plus the limits in their ability to get to it, mm -hmm. that... That was another um, another opportunity for the fire to expand too. Mm -hmm. I, I'm conjecturing, but it's an educated guess. Yeah. So th this 40 year period where it's a volunteer uh, fire department, do we have much information on how it operated as as a volunteer uh, organization? We know there were alarm boxes. Um, okay. That would help crews know where to respond. Now, so. Uh, Ryan Holt talked about the, the old call boxes. Was that an do you know if it was an integrated system or was it a separate system for fire and police? I don't know, yeah. and, and I think there's some others um, who've done some more research on that. So I'm not mm -hmm. super knowledgeable about that, to be quite honest. I do know that city directories, which we have at the library, which the Texas Collection has, mm -hmm. um, at the at the front of them, I've seen list of the boxes and where they were located, okay. which is again in a nerdy librarian sort of way. It's, it's kind of cool. Yeah, and I, and I'll put a plug in. The Texas Collection has digitized a lot of those up to I think 1920s, and they're online and they're awesome to mm -hmm. look at those old city directories. Uh, if you're wondering what your address was back in 1898. <laughs> Uh, it'll tell you. Uh, you can go in and it's got it listed by name of business and resident, or it's got it listed by number and street. And so they're really interesting to look at. As another, as a nerdy historian speaks to a nerdy librarian. <laughs> <laughs> it's truly like, I mean, yeah. it's a, uh, um, it's essentially a phone book plus, I guess you mm -hmm. can say. It really and so is. some some people listening to us, you just lost them when you said phone book. Oh, silly me. See, see, I mean, think how long it's been since we've had a phone book. It's been a minute uh, since we've had this thing that you would have on your porch uh, delivered to you that, that, that had everybody's phone number in it. So yeah. the other day I was scanning some uh, newspapers looking for some articles for some vertical files and whatnot. And uh, one of them had a photo of the Amtrak Depot in McGregor. And I had forgotten there was a payphone outside of it for many, many years. Uh -huh. So, yes, there's a certain age group that has not one iota with a payphone. <laughs> All right. So you said you, you talked about, I interrupted you. You were talking about the volunteer structure that they were relying on call boxes uh, anything else you know from that period of when it was a volunteer? Uh, it wouldn't be a surprise to anyone about 
the fact that it was a horse, uh, a horse-drawn operation uh-huh. uh, up until, <clears throat> and I, I haven't been able to, I and others, and I need to eventually fit in their names. Others have been doing research. It's not a one-person job. Well, let's let's give them the shout out now to make sure we don't miss it. Well, and yeah. I, w- I will miss yeah. someone in it. I'll yeah. wake up in the middle of the night thinking about it. But um, I would I have to start out with a, f- a personal friend of mine who retired a few years ago after 42 years in the department, and that's John Linda. He, is, he uh, had a very long career at the Waco Fire Department. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Almost in his entire career was at Station One, mm. and much of it on the ladder truck. But uh, he's a, a, a lifelong Waco resident too, and enjoys history. So uh, he and I've spent a lot of time digging for clues and information. Mm-hmm. I brought with me in case I needed it to cheat is the uh, first yearbook, I guess you could say, or history book of the department that was done and. You know, part of the problem of doing the research is the time. Sure. Uh, either for me, even on the job, or or for others, you know, on their personal time. But uh, Jeff Pruitt was very instrumental in putting putting this together, mm-hmm. and he deserves credit for really working hard on that. Uh, he's still with the department, uh, and then e- even more recently, we've gotten some younger guys who are interested in it. Young is relative, I realize, but co- younger certainly compared to me. Um, Dylan Carl, who's at Station One, and Nick Guerrero uh, have also gotten involved in it. Years ago, John and I went down to the State Archives in Austin and and did some research on the department down there, Mm -hmm. and uh, Ernest Nivens went with us also, and he's in uh, uh, alarm office dispatcher now. Um, But even long before us, there were others. Otis Williams comes to mind. He retired after, I believe it was 38 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was really hoping to establish a museum uh, back in the 80s, and I want to say even maybe a little bit sooner than that. Um, unfortunately, mm-hmm. it's still in the works. Or yeah, hopes. I know there's still discussion. We'll talk about that yep. later. There's still discussion about that. Now, the name of the book is? Waco Fire Department. Uh, 1873 to 2012. 2012. So you could check that out at your local library. However, check that out is a relative term because we have it and the uh, other one that's come after it in the local history room because we don't want it to be checked Uh, out. It's on reserve. Sorry. Check it out, but don't leave the building. That's right. Yes. (laughs) But, um, you know, as far as the history, it's, um, it's, it's been a long process of digging for uh, council minutes, Mm -hmm. uh, or years ago, it was called the city commission, yeah. city commissioners, but the same same concept. The the, the uh, leaders of our city, looking through their minutes, looking through old newspaper articles. Unfortunately, many years ago, and I don't know all the details, and I wouldn't couldn't say them anyway. But it, from what I've been able to gather, uh, someone down at the former headquarters, which was at ten sixteen Columbus, that opened in nineteen thirty. Two, I should remember the exact date because I've seen it many times, but that station opened and was the headquarters eventually. And uh, that station's now out on Park Lake. But anyway, someone apparently went through, and my understanding is uh, a lot of perhaps historical stuff was tossed out. Um, it's easy to be angry about that, but, mm-hmm. you know, organizations can't live off of history. They have to... Yeah progress so we don't know what we lost to be honest with you but it's been it's been a process of uh learning and being surprised and and in fact and i'm i'm jumping ahead so i apologize in advance but uh 
during an oral history interview with Weldon Hill, who is still the uh, oldest retired fireman, he mentioned, <clears throat> well, let me back up and say this. It's always a quest uh, of like fire departments, police departments, things like that. They want to honor and recognize those who gave the ultimate sacrifice. Sure. <clears throat> and so we knew of uh, Jimmy Fox, who died in a sawdust fire at Love Wood back in the late 60s. And while interviewing Weldon Hill, he happened to mention uh, Captain Brandon, Bob Brandon, and I didn't know anything about this personally. So it's interesting the way you find out about information. Then we were able to look up that that article and find that he was acting assistant chief that day and died of a heart attack. He was a 35-year fireman mm-hmm. and died of a heart attack in 1960. But anyway, it's it's a process of <clears throat> finding articles, uh, government documents, things like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you mentioned me doing oral history. I, I, youth is wasted on the young. I wish I had started many years ago, but mm-hmm. uh, because there's we've lost uh, not just firemen, but, you know, any number of people who have stories to tell and that would be useful for the historical record. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you can only go back so far with oral history uh, before you've got a, I mean, if there's not a written source, uh, yeah, particularly on this early period we're talking about, it's pretty problematic. Now, you mentioned insurance concerns. and Now, how do those begin to intersect with kind of the city supporting the creation of a, a formal fire department? Sure. And yeah. I and I don't want anyone to think that I'm an expert on insurance rates or anything like that. But if you ever hear ISO, that's that's what you're, you know, an ISO rating of whatever. Yeah. And uh, so it's significant that Waco, um, and I, the year escapes me, but it hasn't been too many years ago, achieved the highest mm-hmm. rating that you could, which is important so that you have lower insurance rates. Yeah. It's not yeah. just some feel good number. It, it's significant. Uh, financially. Yeah. So, uh, Ryan Holt mentioned that as well. I mean, investment moving there, these are all things that people that are investing capital or wanting to relocate consider. Mm -hmm. Um, and from what I, what I found and I'm looking down to, to be sure I'm getting that right. Sure. You know, it was 1917 when the department became uh, fully paid, mm-hmm. but the discussion of that actually began back in 1915, uh, based on some information from the state. They were concerned about the need for additional fire protection. Um, at the point where the department became fully paid, there were paid guys. Yeah, and I say guys. Let's we have to be honest. Up until uh, 1992, early 90s, it was a, an entirely uh, male fire department. Yeah. So there were some paid men, but it was not fully paid, and mm-hmm. so uh, the city supported and approved creating a uh, fully paid fire department. And by then, I don't know if I finished my thought earlier, but it, it was early 1910s, we, maybe around 19 or 11 or so, when the department started becoming mechanized um, and the horse is eventually going away. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, by 1917, uh, the need for improved fire protection uh, related to insurance rates. Mm-hmm. Do you know the first truck 
they got what the first truck was i don't and i'll tell you who knows this stuff is john john linda he uh he knows about fire trucks to be honest with you it's not the one out in front of paparolos it's not that uh it's not that fire truck we could only wish we still had yeah yeah. among many others well i also think just because i've used them uh, extensively the sanborn fire insurance maps that's a wonderful resource Mm -hmm. not for what they plan them for but (laughs) yeah that that those huge surveys uh, that were done by the Sanborn company to to um, identify the different types of building materials that were used in buildings. Um, so you know, I've, I've you know I've seen them for different years in different areas of the city, and they're really interesting because they show you the footprint and then they show you the material that the building's made out of. And then there's great ones from around this period that we're talking about. Yeah. And like you say, it may not have been their intention, but <clears throat> for local history, for genealogy, uh, it's a very valuable source. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, 1917, I think about Camp MacArthur. I wonder, <laughs> is there overlap between fire prevention and the federal investment? that was being made in Waco? Not that I've ever, okay. I haven't found documentation to that effect. I, I guess okay. I would put it that way. Okay. I would only think it would make it more attractive as a uh, potential, uh, the investment in Richfield and then re- investment in Camp MacArthur if there's some sort of fire department uh, nearby. You think that was more attractive than getting rid of the uh, red light <laughs> district? <laughs> you had to bring that up. You had to bring that up. I know that was connected. I'm just wondering if the other... <laughs> was connected okay so we so we have a we have a paid fire fully paid fire is it a hybrid model there in the early years where it's part volunteer i would imagine there's a window there where it's part volunteer and part paid from what i found after 1917 Mm -hmm. it was fully paid okay i i don't recall that i found where it became prior to that a little bit of a hybrid i see um, but I have definitely found a reference to it, them having some paid guys prior to 1917. Okay. Um, but yeah, once 1917 rolls around, it becomes fully paid. Okay. And I would imagine your records are better, uh, once we get to 1917, cause you've got, you've got more in depth city records on the fire department. So can you give it a sense of kind of what it looked like in its early uh, period there. So by 1917, and I'm going to look down at my notes again because we had. This is not video, Sean, so you you don't have to let them know you're. Well, you that's just, true. You but just look down at your notes. Nobody cares. Yeah, but yeah. I don't want anyone to think that I just have all this information <laughs> truly stored in my mind. Hey, that's okay. That's all right. Sure. <laughs> because I definitely don't. <laughs> but uh, by 1917. We had eight fire stations. Okay. We had uh, the one on in the 300 block of Washington. Uh-huh. And then we had, uh, let's see, at the time it was still on South 12th Street. It had not moved over to 1016 Columbus. Okay. Uh, what essentially became, and, they, and originally they were not, <clears throat> some of them were, some of them weren't known by the numbers that we know them later. Okay. But essentially Station 3 was on, at that time, still on Tyler. Uh, that was the one that eventually moved. And the building is still there at the Y at Elm and uh, Hillsboro. 
uh, four down at Baylor, South End Station, as it was known, Bells Hill on Clay. Mm-hmm. Uh, six at that time was still in the 1700 block of Bosque. Seven uh, at 15th A and Herring. And that building is also still there. Mm-hmm. And then eight, which was at um, uh, Ninth and Vermont. And Vermont, and I have never found exactly when it happened, but it became uh, call cord okay. through some type of transistor. Kind of like if Marl, Marlboro, I can't ever say that street, right? Yeah. Became an extension of Bosque. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we had those eight stations. Um, in 1933, I believe it was, Station 8 closed. Mm-hmm. Um, and it reopened later in a very different location. Mm. <clears throat> but that wasn't until uh, like 40 or uh, nearly 30 years later, not quite. That oh, wow. Long. Yeah. Okay. 20, 25, 20, somewhere in there years later. Okay. So that's the network that you just said that kind of covers Waco for a long time. Here. That's correct. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Yeah. For, so from 19, you consider from 1970, as far as fully paid 1917 until I see, I look down here and I find October 16th of 1933 was the original station eight. It closed mm-hmm. and those guys were dispersed okay. elsewhere. Okay. And staffing a station. I mean, what would that, would that be pretty uniform? Would it be, would it vary from size of station to station or? Well, so, um, first a disclaimer would be, I don't know exactly, exactly, Mm -hmm. but it's interesting that there are, I've, we found, uh, run cards uh, that had the information about fires that let's say it was a garage fire where now you might have, depending on the size of three or four engines and a ladder truck and a couple of battalion chiefs go mm-hmm. back then it might've just been one engine, one pumper. Oh, wow. Um, I know when I was a kid and really became fascinated by the department, uh, there were some stations that still had, still had four person crews. That's not, that's not always the case mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but at the time you might have a four man crew, and then a couple on a ladder truck, for example. I see. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned a pumper truck. I would imagine, particularly during the early period, the, I mean, as far as like fire hydrants, and that, that system was probably not very extensive, I would think, at the time. You know, I don't know. And, and that yeah. actually brings up something else. And I, I'm going to say it, and then I'm going to say, I don't know a whole lot about to speak more about it. <laughs> but Waco apparently had its own thread um, called the Waco thread. And I only know that because John Linda mentioned it to me one time before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you take off the cap on a on a plug, that's what we're talking about, the threads on, yeah. on there. And apparently Waco had its own. Uh, had a unique Thread? I, I guess so. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, really interesting. Of course, someone may call in or write into the show and say, what in the world is he talking about? That's not, or, you know, whatever. But but we know that's true. We've seen documentation of okay. it. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, so they're using these call boxes. They're making, does Waco have any um, significant fires that you found in the historical record in this early period? Because we talked about this early fire causing the change to, so I'm thinking as as Waco continues continues to develop. Now I'm 
um, before the 1953, I'm not talking about the tornado, <laughs> but maybe in this early period uh, where there's some losses by fire that drove kind of development or changes in the department? I don't know that I can say there were fires that okay. drove development and change. Yeah. Um, and one of the things, one of the lists we've been working on are significant, you know, major yeah. significant fires yeah. for that very reason. Sure. I mean, those things not only are costly to the city, but can lead to mm -hmm. changes. Um, uh, certainly, obviously, we're in, on the 21st floor, and obviously the taller your buildings are, the more you're going to need a, a ladder truck, for example. Mm -hmm. um, Could somebody get to us? <clears throat> I don't think there's anything that's going to reach this high. So, as we're on the 21st floor of the Alico building, right, yeah, right, yeah. Um, but so yes, we've been doing some research to try to document these these large fires, and of course, I didn't bring that list with me, so I can't really pull anything out mm -hmm. uh, to tell you. Um, Are there some you remember from that list? Kind of significant fires. I'm thinking there were some downtown. Yeah. Um, but again, I, I would be making up numbers and, and, and incidents as I go along if I'm not careful. Mm -hmm. um, because we know, for example, that uh, there was a major fire at the Elite. Mm -hmm. But that was later. That was after the tornado. Mm -hmm. um, the Liberty Building explosion, whose date escapes my mind, but it was 1930-something. Yeah, I want <clears throat> that's on our app, the Liberty Building explosion. And I don't think we've talked about that incident on the on the podcast yet. And I don't know enough. I've read the article, but I I can't speak to it with authority. Yeah, I know there was one fatality in that explosion of the Liberty Building. Just so uh, listeners will know, uh, the Liberty Building sits. Uh, Cafe Cappuccino is in the is in the first floor of the Liberty Building, and so it's that historic building that is there. Uh, and then in the 1930s, um, there was some gas accumulation in the basement of the Liberty Building, and a custodian there flipped on a light switch that, that ignited the gas and caused an explosion in the Liberty Building. And I'll, I'll have the date for you here in just a second. <laughs> Sometime during the night, I'll think of something. I'll think, why in the world did I not mention that? But <laughs> such is the human mind. Well, I, I mean, what you know from that list is how active uh, the fire department is in responding uh, to those sorts of incidents, I would expect, um, as Waco develops. And again, I think one of the things w uh, that strikes me about the department back then <clears throat> uh, is again the fact that these guys did not have the safety, uh, the protection that crews nowadays have, which is not to say that it's safer now, mm -hmm. but they did not have all the equipment and whatnot to stay as safe, um, be it air packs, uh, hoods to protect their, try to protect them from burns, things yeah. like that. Yeah, what was, so the Liberty Building was 1936, it was, it was soon after the, 1936 flood, uh, and Mr. Warren Moore is the gentleman that lost his life, um, caused $290,000 worth of damage uh, to the Liberty Building and structures around it. But I, I, I'm interested, and maybe you've had conversations about this, about maybe things they used back then um, that we've advanced past 
as far as modern firefighting equipment, maybe some of the things that they were using in this early period? I don't know if you ran into things that you found interesting that uh, that they would use to respond to a fire. You know, the stereotype for some people <clears throat> of a fire rescue is mm -hmm. the net, people jumping off into the net. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, you don't see that now. I haven't seen it in my lifetime that I can recall. Not here anyway, but yes, the department had a had a, a fire net at one time, and and I believe it was training that the guys had to jump off of the training building into the net. Mm -hmm. um, and in, and indeed, I know there is one fireman who was hurt because uh, things went awry when he jumped into it. Mm -hmm. um, so that immediately comes to mind. Yeah, I don't know enough about <clears throat> the changes in hoses and nozzles. Mm -hmm. But um, I have heard uh, from more than one person about the significance of having w what's called a fog nozzle. And I'm going to leave it at that because I can't tell you enough about a fog nozzle to sound intelligent. I can pr sound pretty stupid about it, but I can't sound intelligent enough talking about it. But, uh, um, you know, changes in nozzles, changes in um, and perhaps hoses. You know, I... I'm probably getting ahead of where you're going, but <clears throat> talking about changes in the department, I remember when I was a kid, and the stations had these hose racks beside them. Mm -hmm. So when they got back from a fire, they'd clean off the hoses and put them out there to dry. And they had extras in the station so they could reload the hose bed. <clears throat> and I don't know about the changes in the material used, but they don't have to do that anymore. Mm. Um, which can be a significant time saver. But also, and I've told this to some of the younger firemen I've encountered, uh, I remember if I was, we were driving around town and I would see a fire truck with some rolled up hoses on the back on the, on the tailboard, that unless they'd been training, that was a very good sign that they'd been at a fire. Mm. Um, whether it was inch and a half size, whether it was what was called big line, two and a half inch. Mm -hmm. So... Random stuff that normal people might not notice or think about, but that's a change in how in their equipment and how you have to take care of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> and if we really wanted to go further, we could talk about the use of computers. And I mean, I think John and I were talking about that one day. If if you brought a fireman back from the early 1900s mm -hmm. or even the 1940s and showed him a fire truck, I mean. There's a computer in there so you can see the information on the call that you're going to, which nowadays is as likely to be a medical call as it is a fire or a wreck or something like that. Yeah. And so you see the information that. Um, there are uh, devices, and I, I don't know if they're still called past devices, but if a, a fireman is laying, um, if a fireman is incapacitated and laying flat and still for too long, an alarm goes off. Mm. Uh, an indication that that firefighter needs to be helped. Uh, of course, I've mentioned the air packs, <clears throat> um, hose. Uh, I mean, uh, gloves. Changes in in the, in the equipment they've used. Years ago, I did an oral history interview with Ralph Patrick, who retired as a captain after 39 years. He retired in '98, and he mentioned one of the early fires he fought was down <clears throat> in um, down towards where the Farrell Center is now, as best I recall. Um, think they were, you know, taking down uh, uh, old homes, kind of in, thinking urban renewal. Yeah. And uh, 
I guess the glove he had ended up burning his hand or something like that. Wow. So um, changes in, in gloves, um, boots, you know, mm -hmm. just all types of, of equipment that they wear. Um, changes in sizes of hose. Um, techniques, for that matter, which which I can't really speak to because I'm just not familiar with it. But, mm -hmm. but truly, someone from pre-19, well, really even, you come even sooner and go back pre-1980s, you know, mm -hmm. would might be very well be astounded at the things that they, the type of equipment they have to use nowadays. Mm -hmm. But of course, again, that's a reflection of changes in firefighting, changes in material that's used, changes in society. Yeah. Um, you talk about training at, you know, of course I, in, in more recent wake ones are aware of kind of that iconic training area along the river, uh, along U parks. And I, I, I know there's the tower still there and they're incorporating the tower into that development. But I'm, how, how, how long was that active, that area, as far as a training area, do you know? So, you ask a simple question, I'm going to make it give you a long oh, answer. Oh, okay. good. Right. Great. You should be a professor. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't know if that was a compliment or not, <laughs> but <laughs> I have to get back to you. After the original, after the tornado, the station on Washington uh, was, you know, eventually moved, rebuilt. At uh, Is that because it was so severely damaged <laughs> with the tornado? I, yeah. I, have, I don't think we've ever been able to determine how much damage was done to it. but. Okay you have to consider something because it was essentially right across the street from city hall. And we know that city, you know, all these windows blown out of city hall, which was right there on the square. And we know how badly the square fared. Yeah. Um, so the station was uh, a new station was built right by essentially right by the Washington Avenue bridge. <clears throat> that was there until uh, the early 70, uh, 73 comes to mind is when station one uh, opened on University Parks, mm -hmm. there where all the new development is taking place. And that's when the tower was, there was a tower, a, um, a shop to work on the equipment, and mm -hmm. then Station One was there. Okay. And that was there for many, many years, and eventually it was moved into on Peach, where it is now. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that, that training area was used for a long time, and, and I never witnessed it, but that's where think for many years and I can't speak to how long where they did the agility course uh, mm -hmm. you know the the candidates to become uh, firefighters would take their civil service test and then you know however they did that they choose so many and the top scores go uh, do the agility part of it mm -hmm. um, but they the, my understanding is they did all that down there as well mm -hmm. so yeah, yeah. And, and you talk about uh, the investment um, on peach I mean uh, this is toward the end of the story, but also the city investing, I think, is, is a way to um, become an anchor for development in a community. I think of 25th Street, the commitment mm -hmm. there with the new station, the, the Peach Street, the commitment with that modern, uh, beautiful new station. Um, it, it's, it's going back to what you started with, of where the stations are says something about uh, where the city is and where the city wants to go, maybe, mm -hmm. or is heading. Yeah. 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 So, uh, did you say you'd seen some training exercises at the, no? I have okay. not. Okay. 
Yeah, I would have liked to have seen them on that tower doing work on that tower because I'm sure it was. We have photos. I will yeah. say that we have some photos. Yeah. <clears throat> Thankfully, uh, there was uh, photos that were preserved, and so even we have those in safekeeping. Mm-hmm. And so I've seen some photos uh, repelling things like that, mm-hmm. uh, ladder practice, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and I should, you know, this is kind of somewhat peripheral to the story, but in case someone was wondering, and if they're not, I don't want to know that they didn't want to know. But anyway, I'm going to say it. Um, I, you know, my interest in the department, I, I grew up wanting to be a fireman, which is pretty stupid because I'm blind. I mean, I, I knew enough to know that my, my vision even corrected is not, yeah, you don't want me out there doing, trying to help save mm-hmm. you or anything like that. But, um, so I grew up wanting to be a fireman, which is, like I said, was really stupid. But um, God's plans are always the best plans. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up becoming a librarian and the, the great thing about that is it's opened opportunities uh, for me to do the research on the fire department, among other topics of interest. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, I don't know if I could have, and I say I, again, it's not a one-person job, but for my part, I don't think I could have found some of the information I've been able to find. And when you combine that with <clears throat> the knowledge of others who have ret- you know since retired from the department, and then the interest of the younger guys, you know, that's, I think all that's required to do a good history of any organization. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to, since you went off topic, I'm going to ask you a question off topic. Because I wanted to ask you this question, Sean. So you've spent a considerable amount of time kind of investigating local history and local stories. Why? Why is that, why is that important to you to do? I, I, you know, a little bit of it is connected to your job, but a lot of it is things I know that you've pursued just because it's a passion of yours. And so as, as folks are listening and wondering why local history is important, why don't you tell me why you you spent your time uh, doing the research and interviews and other things that you've done on local history? You know, I don't know that I really know why exactly. I mean, I was a history major, so yes, history's in my blood. Um, but I didn't set out when I became a librarian to to be in local history. It really was never on my radar. But part of it, I can I can go back to the Waco History Project that mm-hmm. the long since retired uh, Tribune Herald uh, uh, editor, John opinion page Young. editor, yes, John Young started. Yeah. And Mary Duty, mm-hmm. and there's several local folks that were in, Wilton Lanning, mm-hmm. several local folks that were instrumental in. Yep. That great uh, project, yeah. And so I remember um, Becca and Lois mm-hmm. from the Oral History Institute. Lois Myers mm-hmm. and Becca Sharpless, yeah. Coming to speak about oral history. Mm-hmm. And I think, I'm really having to stir up some cobwebs in my mind, but I think I, I, it, I, think I connected it with my interest in the fire department. Mm. And that kind of was an impetus for me to start doing some oral history interviews, and I guess it was just a, a process from there, but also part of it was the uh, in our library catalog at the time, uh, prior to me, this is not me who started this, so I can't take credit for it, but people were working on a, a, a newspaper index to try to help find articles. Um, to put this in time perspective, this is mid and late 90s, so it's not like we had all the great online resources we do now and so i eventually 
took that over. That become kind of became my baby, and um, and I guess you put all that together. My interest in in try to research this, preserve this. In, how to how do you find these articles? How do you find this information? Plus wanting to do uh, oral history interviews. Um, and as I tell people, I, I married work instead of a woman, so I have no wife and no life. So I have this free time, I guess you could say. And that's just kind of where it took off. And uh, as far as the oral history interviews, 95% of the ones I've done, I've done on my own time or vacation yeah. time. And so I, to be honest, I just choose who I want to interview. So the fire department was a natural, the police department. Um, I grew up being interested in railroads, which I realize when I say all that, your listeners are going to think, this dude is a nutcase, and no, that's fine. No, we're going to – there's a woman out there now, Sean, that's, that's hearing, <laughs> hearing you're single and your interest, and so who knows what can come that's of this. True. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so, I, you know, those aspects, um, and somewhere along the way, I, I became interested in uh, um, just interviewing people uh, – about African-American history, Hispanic history. Yeah. I can't really tell you where all that came from. I don't know, other than at least my parents raised me um, mostly decently. I mean, they mm -hmm. did the best they could do with what they had to work with. So, I mean, that just became an interest of mine. And mm -hmm. um, so I guess as I've gotten older, um, I don't remember who I was talking to. And I said, you know, there's no, there's no paradise on earth. Waco's not a perfect city, mm -hmm. but I love my city. Yeah, and um, you know, I, I I stayed here and I enjoy living here. Uh, I grew up in the north in North Waco. I live in South Waco. I love South Waco, but uh, you know, I love my uh, community. Mm -hmm. I say my; it's not mine, but you get the idea. It is yours. I mean, it's mine too, <laughs> right. but it's yours. Yeah, and. Uh, so, you know, part of it is is preserving the history. I'm yeah. not a technology person. I'm not that smart about that kind of stuff. But I enjoy history. And if there's some, some things I can do for my part, along with others, to preserve that history, I, I think that's a, a worthy pursuit. And, and I've met some people I would have never, yeah. ever, besides you, never would have met in my life. Uh, people who've allowed me to almost interrogate them, in a sense. Um, I interviewed a guy years ago. Um, I believe what he was talking about when he said this, he was involved in the local chapter of what was previously known as the Confederate Air Force. It, they changed their name eventually to Commemorative Air Force. Mm -hmm. And uh, I believe that's what he was talking about when he said it was the most fun you could have with your clothes on. <laughs> and so my point of bringing that up is, is I sometimes feel like that's what, you know, when I get, when I get to work on local history and learn new things about my community, um, or interview people that's I, I enjoy doing that mm -hmm. and it doesn't make me special I'm not I'm you know I'm just trying to do my part just like you are just like a lot of other people are. I, I disagree I think you're special well, I appreciate uh, it. <laughs> but the fire department you yeah. know again like I say was just being a librarian and doing interviews and all that was a way for me to dig into this mm -hmm. um, and and learn more because yeah I mean there's among the essential services of a city, of course, is, is fire protection. Mm -hmm. Or now it's not, as I said, mentioned earlier, it's not just fire protection. It's just first responder. Yeah. So. Yeah. And you mentioned that earlier. It's, as you said, it's not just fire protection. I mean, a lot of the calls now are, uh, you know, uh, emergency calls, 
medical, emergency medical calls. You mentioned um, wrecks, car wrecks, and things like that. When, when does that become such a when when does that become such a big part of the fire department's work? Yeah, I think if I was going to really uh, kind of date it, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say a specific date uh, because. Okay, you already know. I've already given you my nerdy alert. So mm-hmm. anything I say could be nerdy. But I, it was always interesting. The Tribune Herald used to publish the fire calls for uh, the previous 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And some days were busier than others, of course. Some days there were no calls at all. And medical calls were not very common at that time. This is I'm thinking back into the 70s and 80s when I was growing up. I was born in 73 for people who are you know, even remotely curious about that. Mm-hmm. Half century. So when I was younger, you know, again, nerdy kid looking at the newspaper and seeing these list of fire calls and occasionally they would uh, assist what back then was at one point eventually became Daniel EMS. But if I were to date it, I would really say it started with uh, the late chief John Fasano, who came. mm, Let's see, Chief Mercer retired in 96, and I don't remember how soon after it might have been 97 when Fasana started Mm -hmm. and he came from California and uh, knew EMS and uh, I would say that was really when it started is the push for the department to become more active in in being first responder Mm -hmm. Um, and 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 so while I can't pull statistics out of anywhere right now we can the department has those numbers to document how the number of calls have increased over the number of calls, period, yeah. and then of course the breakdown of, of true fires of any kind versus medical or things like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, mid to mid, late nineties is yeah, really good. when the department became active in, in that part. It is I mean, is part of that, and again, you're more <coughs> informed on this than I am, but is part of that because we've gotten better at fire prevention. I mean, as far as the interventions that, that a fire department can make. If we've gotten better, it would seem if we've gotten better at fire prevention, that there there may be opportunities for the fire department to respond to other emergencies and things like that. Or maybe I'm just making a leap there. Well, there the department answers the number of fires they have is is less than it used to be. I yeah. guess you could say. Yeah. Com- or compared at least comparatively to, to medical calls. Yeah. And I heard someone, oh, within the last couple of years, tell me that a now-retired fireman commented or offered the opinion that part of the reason there weren't as many large fires, and Waco still has big fires, but this person said it's because of cell phones. Interesting. And when you think about that, that makes more sense than one might realize because let's think back to the Mako fire in, I believe it was 86. Yeah. Uh, Mako there in the thousand or so block of Franklin mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, went up in flames. I don't remember the alarm time, but it was in the middle of the night. And s- so say someone's driving down Franklin at that time of the night and maybe sees a little smoke and calls it in. And at that time it had been station two, engine two up the street on Columbus. They were just a few blocks away, gets there in just a matter of minutes and is able to contain it or maybe yeah. it doesn't get as big whereas you know now it uh, back then 
it just got out of control. Now that's a bad example because there was a hotel right across, you know, motel right across the street. But just in general, think of people out and about quickly have a cell phone, don't have to go find a business that might or might not be open, don't have to find a pay phone to call it in. Mm-hmm. Um, so people are able to call in things faster. That that I think that's where this person offered that, uh, where he came up with that idea. That's really I think it's I think it's a valid point. Yeah, yeah, so that's, and so we're still in the, I mean, that's the last 30 years or so. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, cell phones, um, definitely fire prevention. Uh-huh. Um, there could be some other things to which I'm not as knowledgeable, but mm-hmm. I, you know, definitely uh, inspection mm-hmm. things like yeah. that. Yeah, uh, I would. I'm sure our inspections have gotten more rigorous and better. Uh, risk management, which is not not even a, a thing that really existed 50 years ago, but now something that every institution thinks about. Yeah, yeah. So that's really interesting. Now you mentioned the the Mako fire. I mean, other. Um, you don't have your list with you, but other big fires more in the modern period uh, that the fire department dealt with. Yeah. Uh, that immediately comes to my mind, I think it was the Sunbright fire just in the last few years. That yeah. was a multi, kind of a multi-day operation. Um, Which is out uh, <coughs> Central Park Expressway. Somewhere out in the industrial yeah. district. The yeah. uh, um, recycling plant, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, another one that came to my mind when you asked that question, simply because it was right down the street, was the old Cox's fire. Um, that one I remember because we were, it was a Sunday and we were going, going coming home from church and coming up 4th Street and you could see the smoke. I didn't know what it was at the time. Um, that was also in, the, I believe, the mid-80s. Mm-hmm. Um, so that one comes to mind. This is the Cox's that was in Westview? <clears throat> oh, no, I'm sorry. The Cox's yeah. up on 7th and in Austin. Okay. It was uh, vacant. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. That yeah. was well after it had moved out there. Yeah. Um, you know, I, just because I looked at it re- recently, the the Cameron House, uh, which uh, is around where you work uh, now, or nearby to where you work now, uh, went up in flames. Um, which is a you can see the structure on the on the app as a grand house um, that. Uh, uh, William Cameron built uh, that went up and it was abandoned for a while and then it went up in flames and that was that was the end of the house it was demolished mm-hmm. after that but uh, so we, we've talked about some of these industrial kind of corporate fires but obviously we're losing residential structures along the way and we've well. and we've uh, lost people along the way yeah yeah now you mentioned uh, some of those firemen a couple of firemen that were on duty and and paid the ultimate price. Were you were you able to identify other uh, firemen that that uh, we lost that we should tribute here? That come to my mind, mm-hmm. uh, um, Captain Brandon, Jimmy Fox, and and I don't even remember how we stumbled upon this, but let me let me look at my cheat sheet here, and it was nineteen. 19- 20s. So Sean is just pulling this out of his mind. He's, <laughs> he's not looking at any reference material. I wish I could tell you that I just know this stuff magically, but I don't. Uh, April of 1925, um, two fire trucks collided while going to a fire. Oh my goodness! And okay. um, it and it killed one of the firemen. Oh N H Kendrick is his name. Okay. Um, 
and and John and I talk about this every so often. I'm trying to remember if there's anyone else uh, that I'm forgetting. You know, it's not something you want to find. Sure. But as you say, you want to be sure um, and acknowledge that. Not completely unrelated to the fire department, but related to the PD. Mm-hmm. I was able to go up in, to uh, Irving years ago and interview Sergeant retired police sergeant James Howard. And he happened to mention during the interview uh, an officer who died on duty, he had he was walking his walking his beat, and as best I recall, had a heart attack. Mm. Um, and I can't even remember the year, and I don't remember his name. But the point of me saying that is, you know, when you look into this and you either accidentally find things, or you're talking to someone who just happens to mention something, mm-hmm. uh, it's significant. So you can again document it and pay tribute. Yeah. Well, and, and and sadly, more recently in terms of line of duty, would be Steve Kroll, um, who uh, he, um, it's considered line of duty due to exposure to uh, firefighting foam. I see. Okay. Um, yeah, and I, that's a risk for, um, I would think, the history of the fire department. Some of the chemicals and inhalants and asbestos and things that they've been exposed to over time, I mm-hmm. would think. Oh, yeah. They had didn't have the protection mm-hmm. uh, or didn't know or, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, um, the uh, group, you mentioned the group that it began. When did y'all begin kind of looking more into the history of the fire department? What motivated that effort? You know, I don't even remember, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. That's, mm-hmm. that's a really good question, and I, I don't, I can't pinpoint a date or even what it, it was. It started well before this yearbook, yeah. the first one, which I, or history book. I, I say yearbook because it has a lot of photos. I'm, I'm thinking a yearbook, but mm-hmm. it started well before 2012. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't know that I can recall the actual motivation. Mm-hmm. It may have been a combination of um, my access to sources at the library plus interest in history, plus my friendship with John Linda and his, you know, at the time he was still with the department and uh, his interest in in history and obviously the fire department. And it just kind of went from there, I suppose, maybe. So the oldest active station that we have uh, serving now is what? I'm I'm testing your memory here. Yeah, well, it would be station one. It's not, I mean, none of them are where... Well, okay. I was gonna say none of them are where they originally were. That's that, not. That's, that's not. That's true. what I'm interested in. The oldest facility that uh, still houses a station that's been in operation the longest. I know the number changes. Yes. Uh, but so station one's by definition is the oldest. Uh-huh. But it's in station. a very very new facility. Yes. Um, station four, the Baylor station, opened in the. Uh, Late sixties. Okay. Number nine opened in sixty nine uh, over there on New Road. Mm-hmm. Um, Back when New Road was new, and the, it was a field in front of it at the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. before <clears throat> Lowe's was built. Yeah. I, I, I'm starting a petition to change New Road to Road because uh, it is you not. Gonna, it's not New Road anymore. It's not really new. So you're going to call it Road? Yeah, road? just no, just Road. Oh. Uh, take the new off. I mean, how long are we going to call it New Road? What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so those are some older ones. Any other? Any other? Uh, Station Eight's and it's an original. Well, okay, I mentioned earlier Station Eight was originally at Ninth and Vermont. Yeah, but in its 
most recent um, life, mm-hmm. it's in its original station over there at Lake Aaron Cobbs. And that goes back to? <clears throat> 1960, early 60s. Okay. I was thinking about that because I'm not a party person. I'm, re- I'm sure that's a real shock to people who know me. Uh, but, I, you know, I enjoy celebrating good things. I think there's enough negative stuff in life. It's good to celebrate yeah, something sure. positive. Yeah. So I think we accidentally missed when Station 8 really opened. But anyway, it's 4, 8, and 9 because one's in a new station. Two moved from Columbus out to Park Lake years ago. <clears throat> Three is now uh, out there at L3 at, on the TSTC campus. Mm-hmm. Five is in it's a new location on Bagby. Six is in a new location. Seven is in a new location. Uh 10, which is at the airport, also has a new, not like recent new, but relatively speaking, recent station. Mm-hmm. 11 is not in its original station anymore, which <clears throat> um, I've been told you could put a ball on the uh, engine room floor and it would just kind of roll. Apparently there were some structural issues, maybe. Oh. I, I can't speak to that, but... Uh, and then uh, 12 is not in its original location, the one out in China Spring. Mm-hmm. And, of course, 14 is brand it, well, not brand new, but it's when it opened, it's where it is, where it is, out there on Spiegelville Road. And then 15, when it opens, uh, will be the latest one out there on Panther Way. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> and, well, and so, uh, you know, I can't speak to this, but the any latest, because that's not my area, but... I know there are been plans discussed to rebuild Station Four on LaSalle. I can't speak to where that is or if that's still part of it or not. Okay, because uh, as a South Wicoan, there's kind of a need. There's a need um, on that side of town because I, I guess is the Baylor Station servicing that side of town. That's Station Four, yeah. yeah, and, yeah. And, and you and I both know, and anyone who's lived in Waco for a decent amount of time can speak to how how much it's grown up in, in that part of South oh, Waco, yeah. especially down along University Park down there south of LaSalle. Yeah, yeah, that, that construction's really boomed out that direction around the house. And that Waco station's a fairly, I mean, the Baylor station's a very, fairly small station, if I'm remembering. Yes, yeah. in fact, uh, I visited there, oh, it's been a few months back because I, I know the captain there. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, yeah, I, I've only been in there a couple of times, and that was only my second time. And it's uh, one of the pluses that I, I remember reading about the station when it was built is it was it looks like a home, so it would fit better into the neighborhood. Uh, it does, yeah, it really does, yeah. Which might have been fine in the late '60s, but mm-hmm. um, probably didn't work so well. Doesn't nowadays. fit the modern need of a yeah. fire station. Yeah, you you know you, when you said that, it brought up. You know, when we think about construction of these stations, the effort on 25th Street to try to do kind of a adaptive reuse of the old 25th Street theater, which was an interesting choice to do. But I, I'm interested in in that sort of effort and kind of your opinion of that sort of effort to to use an existing structure. Uh, and make it new. I know there's a lot they added behind it, but um, just your thoughts on that project. I don't know that I felt strongly one way or another. Random mm-hmm. information. The last movie I remember seeing there was Bambi. Not when it was new. But <laughs> I, You're not that old. Well, yeah, not that old. But I mean, I, I remember going there for some reason to see it. But uh, 
I think it's kind of, you know, I think well, it's interesting. Sean, it was a dance club <laughs> when I went to it uh, in the 80s. I remember uh, taking a date there. Uh, when I see I'm a good and, Baptist and I don't dance. Well, so. I was <laughs> I was standing still uh, in the corner judging others, if that makes you feel better. <laughs> to be fair, when I go, and I haven't been in a long time, if I yeah. go to a wedding dance or a quinceanera or something yeah. like that, I don't dance. I just stand along the wall and watch everyone else, <laughs> which is fine. But I think it's pretty cool. And in fact, uh, related and unrelated, there's a photo that we stumbled upon. And I, I don't remember who, so I, I, I don't know who to give credit to, but it shows, <clears throat> John thinks it was a fire at, at the old Magic Music, something, it was a club there at uh, 25th and, um, oh snap, 25th and Grimm or somewhere okay. in there, or just up from the where the fire, uh, the new headquarters is. Mm-hmm. And it shows the crews uh, cleaning up, rolling up, rolling up hose. And there's a there's a a shot looking down, looking south, as it were, down Twenty Fifth Street. <clears throat> and it shows going trying to remember the exact photo, but I think it shows what we believe is Engine Six back then at Old Mac, and the Twenty Fifth Street Theater sign. And we kind of pondered that'd be kind of cool to try to redo that. There's oh, a few yeah. things we'd like to try to. Uh, photos to be cool would be cool to redo if at all possible yeah that'd be neat but yeah. um speaking only for myself i you know where station six is now is is gives it a whole and one of the one of the reasons the city relocated it was ease of getting out and going in various directions mm-hmm. whereas where it was previously on bosky was on a one-way street yeah yeah not great yeah <clears throat> Now, we, we skipped it, but uh, things you discovered about the response to the uh, 53 uh, tornado uh, with the fire department, was there anything that stood out to you in, in research about that? The thing that would stand out to me is um, uh, it would be a stupid moment on my part. I had the opportunity to <clears throat> interview Johnny Roush. He was a Waco fire and he was in inspections. Eventually he left the department and I believe taught at A&M fire school. Um, but, and I, I don't remember the exact details because again, I, I, it was early in my time of interviewing and I just should have asked better questions to be quite honest. But he was uh, heavily involved in the emergency response mm-hmm. to the tornado. And when I interviewed him, um, he was, um, he had terminal cancer. I see. And but it was a great interview. He's just a super nice man. And but I wish I could go back and and ask some better questions mm. about that. <clears throat> so, yeah, I don't. Uh, I've seen bits and pieces about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just undoubtedly they were so incredibly active and in, in staying involved oh, and yeah. doing their part. Um, yeah, I would imagine that that's one of those instances where all resources were <clears throat> applied. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So. And stayed there for days. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. The rescue effort went on for so long. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I want to make sure I, I didn't miss anything you wanted to get in. <laughs> you spent time researching this. Other things that kind of you found in your research, you want to make sure we get into the record here? Wow. Um so many years. I, I think it's just interesting how the department has changed, how it's grown, how it's modernized, how it's had to, how how it's had to grow and modernize in order to keep up with changes in, uh, in our world, in our community. Um, 
yeah, it's it's the busiest it's ever been. It's the most diverse it's ever been. It's mm-hmm. the largest it's ever been. Um, and you know, I've met some wonderful people in doing this research. Uh, and I'm sure, again, I'll remember something in the middle of the night or even 30 minutes from now that I should have said. But I do want to ask when it integrated. You talked about the first um, kind of women joining the fire department in the 90s. When did the when did the department integrate? So Dalton Gooden, I had an opportunity to interview him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember how many years ago it's been. He uh, served in the Air Force, uh, including some time up in Oklahoma, and he was uh, – part of fire protection and <clears throat> I want to say he tried to apply three times it could be four I may, mm-hmm. I may be misreading the exact number um, was declined in a, an application mm-hmm. went to work for out there General Dynamics which was out there at the uh, old Conley by then I guess Conley was really shutting down mm-hmm. or had shut down and, and moved uh, Conley Air Force Base mm-hmm. And so he was working at the fire station out there. I see. And the city, and I don't know that I've even been able to wrap my mind around exactly how it went down, but the city uh, took that over. And so the guys at that station were uh, brought in, and that's how he became the first African-American Waco fireman. I see. Um. That's a very abbreviated version of the story, but uh, again, thankfully, I interviewed him, and so that's digitized and preserved by the institute. Okay, I'm really thankful that I was able to do that. Um, and his his hiring, whether it was coincidence or not, I don't know, because soon after he started, there was another black fireman who was hired. Uh, he only worked for a shorter period of time, mm-hmm. went on to another career, I guess. But there have been others since him, and it was uh, whether it was his hiring that was that motivated others to apply or not. You know, I, I can't speak to that. Some of the others are still alive, so mm-hmm. that's something that could be asked. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it wasn't until the late sixties. He tried. I want to say he first tried in sixty-one. Wow. Yeah, okay. it was a long process. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so it wasn't until 68. Mm-hmm. There's a, a hint of a question mark in my mind as to the exact year, mm-hmm. but when he... Uh, well, I'm going to go to the source you created and, and get the answer. I want to say he worked for Waco from 68 to now he retired in 99. Okay. You know, I couldn't pass physics. I could barely pass physics in high school. I could barely pass geometry. But I can remember some of the most bizarre, probably useless information. I know I'm not the only one like that, but <laughs> but yeah, he worked from '68 to '99. But um, yeah, interesting. Really. And interesting, you know, I, I don't want to read too much into it, but uh, Waco PD was, I guess you could say, was integrated before that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Ryan talked about some of that, uh, and and. Some that he discovered that were in East Waco early, even in the earlier period. Mm, yeah, so, that I didn't, yeah. I did not yeah. know. So you said you looked at the uh, the com- the city records. I mean, were the, are those helpful in researching? Uh, history? They can and be incredibly helpful. Yeah. And in fact, I remember I, I remember taking 
you know, using my cell phone, which back in the days would have been a different process. It was taking myself, using my cell phone to take pictures of certain pages so I could get the wording right. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't have it to look at it. But for like, for instance, when the commissioners approved establishing a paid fire department, mm -hmm. <clears throat> the process that went through with that, for example, mm -hmm. um, I... My handwriting is awful, and I always tell people I've always blamed it on the fact that I was a history major. And back in our days, we, you know, you had to handwrite notes. Mm -hmm. That's a cop out, I realize, but my handwriting is awful. Uh, some of these commission minutes are handwritten and can be a challenge to read, not because of the handwriting is awful, but just because difference. Yeah. But thankfully, a lot of it is typed, and so yes, they have been incredibly, incredibly helpful. And in fact, John and I will go down there. Uh, we hadn't been in a while, but if we had to do research, we would uh, go down there. And uh, I'm sure you know how it is. You start looking for X, and then you accidentally see Y, yeah. and you're just going all over the place. Rabbit trail. Yes, because yeah. you just see things yeah. that catch your attention, and you have to write notes so you remember to go back to it. Mm -hmm. But the commission minutes have been incredibly helpful because absent some of those dates, we didn't know but with those dates of the com uh, commission or council meetings, depending on when the time frame, then we could say go back to the uh, Waco newspaper and find the any articles that were written. Mm -hmm. And so that has been that was very very helpful. Mm -hmm. I mean that's true for anything that I've ever looked up. To be yeah. honest. Well, Sean, I appreciate you doing this project. I appreciate all the interviews you've done. I'm going to bring you back on sometime and talk about your favorite interviews <coughs> you've conducted. It wouldn't be restricted just to the to the fire department, but uh, oh, that that'd be a tough one. There's yeah, there's been, and I'm still trying to work on some more. So know, hopefully, I'll be able to bring some. You've got your hit list. So, yes. Yeah. But I uh, appreciate you coming on and talking about the fire department with me. Well, it was an honor to be invited, and that's not a bunch of bull. That's, I appreciate you asking, and hopefully someone can get something good out of this or at least be moderately entertained, but uh, thank definitely. you for asking. Yeah, thanks, Sean. Thanks for listening to the Waco History Podcast. Like what you heard? Subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes so we can reach more listeners. You can find show notes and info on every episode at wacohistorypodcast.com. And more info on Waco's past at wacohistory.org. Our theme music, used with permission, is Cross the Brazos at Waco, performed by the late Billy Walker. For more info on Billy's music, go to billywalker.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.